Blessings upon blessings uh, to you in this year, 2020. I am your pastor, one of the pastors here at Christ Central. I'm thrilled that you're joining us for this first Sunday worship. Uh, I feel like I should pronounce the benediction, which is the end greeting and blessing to you, but we'll wait for that. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your phones, it'll be projected overhead. It is an honor of mine to bring to you God's Word. We're going to turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 14, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. I've entitled this, One Thing I Do. This is Apostle Paul's singular uh, obsession, passion, drive. Let's learn from him today. Starting at verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So this year, should you declutter? Should you organize your households better? Should you join a gym? Should you get into a better exercise program? How about the keto diet, the Mediterranean diet, or this new plant-based diet that has gained quite some hype and following? Some of you are going to get married. You're contemplating marriage. Some of you want a job or want to switch jobs. So many things are in store for us here in 2020. The reality of life, however, to all of the new things you may try, is that every new thing has a honeymoon stage. So for instance, uh, certain diets, all the productivity, the immediate returns, you're going to feel like it changed my life. This is the greatest thing I've ever done, but there's a law of diminishing returns. Your body gets used to it. And after some time, you may not feel like it was the most revolutionary thing you ever did. Everything has a honeymoon stage to it. Everything has an expiration date to it. As do our present bodies and lives. Apostle Paul tells us there's one thing that does not expire. There was only one thing that he never got tired of. There was one goal, one drive that laid a hold of him. And he pursued it all of his life after his conversion to Jesus Christ. He summarizes it here in chapter 3, verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The one thing Apostle Paul did, the one thing I hope and pray we do, is that you would know Jesus Christ as Lord, is that you would gain more of Jesus Christ, is that you would have and enjoy more of Christ. In other Bible passages, Apostle Paul related to this, talking about this one singular thing that he was aiming for, is that he also wanted to become more like Jesus Christ. In other passages, he talks about he wants to continue to speak about Jesus Christ. 
He wants to share about Jesus Christ. He wants to become a more pure, winsome, bold witness for Jesus Christ. That's the one thing. That's the singular thing. It will not expire in this lifetime or into the next. There is nothing of superior surpassing worth than to know and become, speak and serve, and share of Jesus Christ. This morning as we begin the year of 2020, I'm going to share three whys and two hows. Three whys, you should pursue this one thing. And then two practical hows. All right, let's learn, learn from Apostle Paul. First why. Look at verse 12 once again. Not that I've already obtained this. <clears throat> no. Not that I've arrived. Not that I'm already there. I'm not perfect yet. So the first why is because of lack. Because we lack. You lack. I lack. Apostle Paul lacked. I want you to think with me this morning. In the year 2020, I want, and then fill in the blank. This year, I most want, fill in the blank. I want to get what's in the blank. Now, whatever came to your mind first, most likely you are going to pursue and try everything to get that. What I'm here to tell you is for Apostle Paul, the first and foremost thing that he wanted and he lacked was to know and become and share about Jesus Christ better. What do you lack? What do you lack? If you're nearsighted, you got to go get glasses. If you're failing in a certain class, go get a tutor. If you want to become a professional athlete, oh man, they start younger, earlier. It's crazier now, and it's more expensive. Go get what you want. Well, you got to know what you lack. You got to know what you don't have. I mean, we live in an Instagram spirituality day and age. What I mean by Instagram-like spirituality is this. Most people in this room, you just want overnight, easy, convenient spirituality. You want it in an instant. Like, tomorrow you're going to wake up and just become this all of a sudden, such a loving and gracious wife or husband. Instagram spirituality is about you can edit and present to the public eye or to other people, look at me in this moment or look at me what I'm doing while I'm on a mission trip. Look at me. If you really want to become like Jesus, if you really want to become more like Jesus this year, it's not going to be as easy. It's not going to be edited it's never going to be realized in an instant. And it's definitely not going to happen only when people see you and encourage and applaud you for it. Do you want to know how Apostle Paul really became more like Jesus? Do you want to know? It was in regularity. It was in consistency. And oftentimes it's in obscurity. Nobody in this room is really going to become more like Jesus by the end of 2020 if you're not regular, consistent, and you don't mind that nobody notices it for a while. 
I mean, think about this with me. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, launched his public ministry around the age of, age of what? People say around 30. 30 years old. Why didn't he start at 15? Why did he wait 30 years? We just read from the Heidelberg Catechism. What was those 30 years about? Were they wasteful? Were they purposeless? No. The Bible tells us, in summary, he was growing in favor with God and men. He was growing in stature and in wisdom. He was busy submitting to and obeying his parents. He was at a day-in, day-out job and just being faithful to that. For 30 years, God was doing something in the life of Jesus Christ. And then even before he launched his public ministry, he went into the wilderness only to be tempted and tried by the devil himself. The first why as to why you and I should be about the one thing that Apostle Paul was about is because you lack. I mean, you really, really lack. Do you not see it? Do you not know this about yourself? That we are sorely lacking in view of Jesus Christ. Now, you know, before I go any further, if this discourages you, intimidates you, depletes you, you're saying you're going against my positive self-image right now. If this is somewhat depressing to you, I assure you, you're looking at yourself too much and you're comparing yourself with other people too much and you're looking too little at Christ. In view of the beauty and marvel and perfection of Jesus Christ, Apostle Paul was not depressed. He was not envious. He was not so melancholy. No, he was actually motivated. This first why drove him all the days of his life to pursue his one thing. And I close out 2019 with these growing desires and a couple books on the topic of leadership. I couldn't get enough of it as 2019 closed. And as I read the books and as my own soul has been kind of screaming to me over these last couple of years, Harold, you lack in leadership. You can and should become a better leader. Because you're the lead pastor. Now, how am I going to get any better leadership? The book started me on a certain journey. Here's the conclusion. You're not going to lead better until you're led. You're not going to lead better until you get coached. You're not going to lead better until there's a regular, consistent kind of way that someone speaks into your life. A mentor, a spiritual father, if you will. Now, I'm not promising that I'm going to find one singular person to play all these roles. It might be a myriad of people, but I had some longings at 2019 close because I realized to myself, the last three or four years, I've been lacking a regular, consistent leader in my life. In college, I remember with Campus Crusade for Christ with Tad Martin, my freshman year. I'll never forget it. I had never met a godly man be that vulnerable and repentant. For the rest of my undergrad years, I always had older brothers and pastors for just some reason who were just so good to me. 
And in those days, we all lived together. So you just had automatic community and older people who would guide you along. When I went to seminary over in the East Coast, you have no idea the kind of people God brought my way. My first full-time pastorate, there was an older find, founding retired senior pastor that I owe a debt of love and gratitude to. I could walk into his office, one of the busiest, godliest men I've ever met. It was the largest Korean-American church on the East Coast. I could just walk into his office, sit down, and he never made me feel like he was too busy or in a hurry. The first five, six years... As a part of this church, I had Pastor Brian of Cerrito Presbyterian Church play that same role. And you have no idea how many things God did to save me, sharpen me, humble me, comfort me. You don't get better at anything until you see your lack and you get some help. What is the first why? Apostle Paul says, I'm not there. I'm far from there. I am imperfect and incomplete. But when I look at someone up ahead, he pulls me, he attracts me. I want to get to where he is. Here's a second why. His love begets love. The love of Jesus Christ always reproduces love. Paul just can't get over it. He made me his own. Verse 12. That God would personally and lovingly call me and make me his son or daughter. And then he closes in verse 14 and says, I can't wait for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, where I will only be with him in all the more fullness of experience and perfection. One of the surest indications this morning that you have Jesus at all. One of the surest indications that you sincerely love and want to follow Jesus at all. Is that you so long to love him more. That the deepest places of your soul ache that you don't love him more. His love begets love. Elizabeth used to be, she used to dread flu shots at Kaiser when the winners would roll around and she'd go into panic mode. And when she was young enough, she said, Daddy, Daddy, is it going to hurt? And I made the mistake of saying, no, it's not going to hurt. And she got the shot, freak out. It's like, daddy's a liar. She got a little older. Daddy, daddy, is it going to hurt? I got to give a better answer, more truthful answer. I said, yeah, it's going to hurt a little. But this time, when they're about to give you the shot, hold daddy's hand real tight and look up at me. Just look at my face. and It'll go away in an instant. My wife's hearing this for the first time. She's probably thinking in her head, you made it hurt more than she looked at your face. Anyways, just hold daddy's hand real tight and look at my face. And she did. And she managed to get through it a little better. You know, I'm sorry, in 2020, as your pastor, there are going to be some things that are going to hurt. And part of the grace of God is 
He doesn't show you all that is to come, the highs and the lows. Some things are going to hurt. I mean, really hurt. My question for you is, where are you going to look when it hurts? Do you know where to look when it hurts? Do you even know how to look there when it hurts? Jesus Christ himself showed us that he was looking at you when it hurt him. Apostle Paul says he was busy looking at the face of love, looking at Jesus Christ when it hurt him. He suffered all things as loss, but he kept looking at the face of love. His love begets love. Some of you in this room are more obsessive about counting the costs and how hard it is and what you're losing and what you're suffering and all the struggles that, and man, I'm not minimizing that one bit. We ought to be a church who is more honest and spend more longer periods of time of mourning and lamenting loss. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to feel a certain way to be a genuine Christian today. But having said that, if your life is dominated, just counting the costs, always looking at what you're giving up. I do want to tell you this morning, there is a better way to live your Christian life. It's a much better way. You should be more obsessive, not counting the cost, but looking at and cherishing Christ. You shouldn't just count the cost. No, you should look ahead to all the more what you're gaining in Christ. Isn't this why Jesus told us a little parable in Matthew chapter 30, 13, verse 44? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Some of you just have no joy about you. Yet Jesus told this parable. How was this man joyful in selling everything he had? Well, it's clearly because he was not focusing on everything that he sold. He was much more enraptured with the treasure that he found. Apostle Paul says this, I count all things as loss. They're like rubbish for the surpassing worth of gaining Christ. Cherishing and liking and loving and having more of Jesus Christ. Joy comes from him. The first why we should be about the one thing that Apostle Paul was is because of lack. You cannot go anywhere too far. In any field, in any discipline, in any activity of life. Until you rightfully diagnose where you're at today, right now. Do you lack? And the second why is his love begets love. Here's the third and final why, at least for today, from the passage. There's logic to his work. There's logic, airtight, guaranteed. As sure as the sun rises and the sun sets today, there is logic to the work of God. The maxim is this, and it's biblical, tried and true. 
whatever God works in, or whatever God works at in your life, always gets worked out. Always, always. Please do not conflate your work with God's work. We aspire to do a lot of things. We attempt to do a lot of things. We want to get better a lot of things. That's great. But they're always incomplete. They're partial, sometimes frustrating. Sometimes downright they just fail and flop. Not so with God. Never with God. Any work that God himself is behind, he touches and does. This is the work of God. Once he does that work, it always gets worked out. That's why a nursery volunteers from the age of two and younger, you don't see that work getting worked out yet, but lo and behold, decades later, whatever God works through his word, when he speaks to you, when his Holy Spirit starts giving you certain thoughts, when he starts convicting you of your sin and your persistent patterns of thinking all the wrong things, you think just like the world. You think like a non-believer. You think like someone who doesn't know the Bible. You think dreadful, depressing, downright dark thoughts. They're not from God. But when God works his spirit and his word and his grace and his blessing and his love into your life anytime, anywhere, to anyone, God does that, it always gets worked out. Always. He doesn't waste his time. God does not waste grace. He's not an incompetent preacher. He does not fail. He does not, he's not futile. God is not frustrated. God is on a perfect timetable. And so therefore, my friend, week after week or year after year, you sit under the authority and the love of God through his word. Whatever he's putting into your life, he's always going to work out. That's why Apostle Paul in chapter 1 of verse 6 of the same book, he confesses this with confidence. Philippians 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. You see, there's two traps, opposite errors when it comes to spiritual growth or you and I becoming more like Jesus. Two pitfalls, I would call them, in spiritual growth. On the one hand, you might call it quietism. On the other hand, you call it pietism. Or on the other one hand, you call it passivism. Or on the other hand, you might call it activism. You don't have to know what those words mean. I'm going to describe what they are. Doesn't it sound like certain passages of the Bible say, wait, be still, trust, pray, Sounds quiet, sounds passive. Then you turn to other passages of the Bible and it says, resist, be vigilant, always be on the lookout. Struggle, deny your flesh, deny yourself, flee. And in our passage, press on, press on. And you might get confused. Well, which is it? And everyone in this room, you swing the pendulum between quietism and pietism. You swing the pen, you just go back and forth, back and forth between passivism and activism. Which one is it? I'll tell you which it is. It's both. It's always both. 
It's always both. It's 100% dependence upon the Spirit of God, and it's 100% discipline. It's non-anxious activity. It's prayerful piety. It's God's work and my work together, always. The analogies hold true. It's just like the Holy Scriptures. What kind of book is this? Who wrote this? If you're a Christian believer, you believe it's 100% inspired, revealed by God himself, 100% God, and it was also 100% written by men. Oh, the best analogy would be this. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? What kind of figure is he in all the history of the world? There was no one like him. There was no one like him. And this is before he even died on a cross and rose again. There was no one like him because he was 100% God, and he was also 100% man. God's work and my work both come together in a dynamic, explosive power for your and my spiritual growth. The best commentary would be chapter 2, verse 13, which we will not turn there. But it says, God is the one who both wills and gives you the desire to work so that you can work it out with fear and trembling. And in chapter 2, verse 13, Apostle Paul says this, God's work always comes in and it gets worked out with my work. Question for you and I, which part do you like more? Because you always like one part more than the other. Which part do you like more? Because if you like one part, most likely you're lacking the other. I mean, so there are certain passages of the Bible that says, without you, I can do nothing. Jesus says, so without me, you can do nothing. Some of you love that passage. You memorize it, you quote it, you talk about it all the time in your small group. Other passages in the book of Philippians, Apostle Paul says this. It sounds like the polar opposite. I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which do you like more? Of those two verses, which does your heart gravitate toward? Like it makes you feel all warm and comforted. And here's what I'm going to suggest. Whichever part you like more, you like more, you're lacking the other. Whichever part you talk about more, whichever Bible verses you're memorizing more, you're lacking the other. And my friend... When you lack the other part, you're not going to grow as much as you can. God's work, my work, together. Uh, Now, Pastor, uh, you are being a little confusing today. I'm coming to Christ Central because I love only hearing certain parts. Are are, are you trying to tell me that um, you want me to work really hard this year about my spiritual growth? Yes. Well, then, Pastor, I mean, are you suggesting to me that can I be more loved? No. Can you be more forgiven of your sin? No. Can you be more adopted? No. Oh, can I be more justified this year if I work hard? No. Nada. Never. That's all God's work. But why don't you ask a different set of questions? Can you be more joyful this year? Can you be more patient? Can you be less self-conscious and self-obsessive? Can you be more bold? Can you be more gracious? Can you be more like Jesus? Yes, and yes, and yes, and yes. God's work always gets worked out in your and my work. 
Let's close with the two house. The three whys were is because of lack. Second why is his love begets love. Third, there's logic to his work. Now we look at verse 13, the two practical hows. First, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. If you're paying any attention to the lyrics, the first song we sang this morning, obviously Paul is not saying never look back in the past. Now the Bible and the song we sang today tells us you ought to recall and recount the past miracles and mercies and faithfulness of God toward you that ought to produce gratitude and greater trust and praise to God. So the point is never look back at all. What is Paul's point? He's saying, don't ever look back though, however, in ways that would darken or distract or depress or deplete or drain you from going hard after Christ. Paul is saying, don't ever look back to the past in any ways that would deter you from being about this one thing moving forward. Past successes can leave you smug. Past failures and scandals can haunt you and paralyze you in the present. This is why in chapter 3, verse 8, Paul said, I count everything of my past as rubbish. Rubbish. It's like garbage that's been sitting out for days. Baking in the sun with maggots all about it. Paul is saying, you take my lineage, my birth, my education, my training, my zeal, my righteousness, my religiosity. Now pay attention. Is Paul saying all of his credentials and all the past, if you won a golden globe tonight, or if you got a Nobel Peace Prize, or you got into that corporation, that somehow that's all rubbish and stank garbage? No, that is not what Paul is saying. All of these things in and of themselves are good. They're great. But Paul is saying this, but if all my goods, if all my successes and credentials get one wit in the way of me knowing and becoming and serving Christ better, then it's like staying garbage. How should you be about this one thing? Forget what lies behind. Put the past in the past that appropriately belong there. Because the gospel of Apostle Paul is that 2019 does not define you. The gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul pronounced is that even 1999 does not dictate you. There is no year in your entire past that should control you, define you, determine you. What ought to control you is the past in the history of Jesus. That he lived and died and rose again for you. That's the only past that really matters. And you should never look back, ever, that would detract you and take you away from being about this one thing. Here's the second practical how and we close. First, forget what lies behind. Leave those things in the past that are appropriately put to bed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Second, straining forward. 
Do you notice the word strain? It's not a lazy boy couch. It's not just, oh, it's just natural, easy, just stay passive. Only when the Spirit of God moves me that way, I'll do it. Strain. Straining forward to what lies ahead. I thought I had prepared my entire sermon until last night. I made the mistake of reading the Washington Post. And they reported that a series of letters that the famous playwright and poet T.S. Eliot had written thousands of letters to someone he, had, he, he was in love with. It was a non-sexual affair, non-physical affair, Emily Hale. She donated thousands of letters to Princeton University on the condition of, you will not make these public until 50 years after our death. Thursday arrived, that was 50 years. And do you know what T.S. Eliot goes about confessing to? He had two wives. Emily Hill was some love interest that he had in graduate school. He came around in these love letters to confess that it wasn't so much that he was in love with another guy or girl. He was in love with feeling young again. Infidelity, adultery, especially for midlifers these days. Why are you so tempted and drawn by those romance movies? Why do you fantasize and think about a new lover? T.S. Eliot says, well, I associate of falling in love with my youthful vigor when life was all exciting and dynamic. And it wasn't so much he was in love with her. He was in love with the way that it made him feel. The fountain of youth. Oh, now here's what the scriptures are telling you, my friend. In Jesus Christ, your best, more dynamic days lie ahead of you, not behind. The scriptures over and over and over again, don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to slavery. Don't go past the wife of your youth. Don't go back there to the Garden of Eden where God sent angels to guard it. And why would God guard the Garden of Eden? Because he's telling Adam and Eve, if you go back here, you will die. I know you've sinned. I know you've fallen. You must go forward because there's something way better than the garden you just got kicked out of. Straining forward to what lies ahead. And so Paul provides an illustration of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, you know, like a boxer, I've got to train and discipline every nerve and fiber of my body so that I could be in good shape. For what? The one thing. Becoming, knowing, loving, serving, speaking about Jesus Christ. And when you're learning to box, it's really not how many times you get caught. It's not about how many times you get punched in the face. It's not about how many times you get knocked out and you stumble to the ground. In boxing, it's not about how many times you get floored. Why did Apostle Paul use that analogy? Because just as it's true in boxing, how much more surpassing and valuable it is into eternity that your Christian life is not about how many times you got floored? How many times you messed up? How many times you sinned? How many times you got knocked out? How many times people laughed at you? No, Christian life is about how many times you get back up. And you get back up. And you get back up. Again and again and again. Because 
Jesus Christ got back up for you. Jesus Christ died and got back up for you. And do you know that Jesus Christ doesn't want you to stay down? Do you know that Jesus Christ isn't into your self-masochism? Do you know that he doesn't like the way that you prolong this state that you're in on purpose? Do you know that he doesn't like you staying down? He doesn't want you to stay down and he died so that he can get you back up. So you can forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. I spent the holidays over in Atlanta for, with my in-laws who I have grown to appreciate and love more and more. It was Sonny's grandmother's 90th birthday. But I found out that my father-in-law volunteers three to four times a week, volunteers at his local church, Sugarloaf Baptist Church. I'll forgive him, it's a Baptist church, but I still love him. And I met the senior pastor, and he was Minshew pastor. And the way that they talked about my father-in-law with almost tears in their eyes moved me to bits. Because my father-in-law, he's basically their janitor, their custodian, makes coffee, cleans the bathroom, just does whatever he can. And I was so struck listening to what my father-in-law is doing as he ages. You know, a lot, some of you are aging in this room. And you're always nostalgic and you're always looking back and you're thinking about, I'm getting slower, I'm getting dumber, I'm forgetting things. I'm not as vital as I used to be. Can you stop doing that, please? I'm preaching to my own heart. As you get a little older, you definitely can become more like Jesus, though. You can become a godlier father. You can become a godlier servant. You can become a godlier brother and sister. And you could be better to your spouse. Forget what lies behind. Straining forward to what lies ahead. In seminary, there used to be books and professors who wrote books that really fed my soul. But nowadays I realize there's a lot of people I should know about that haven't been able to write a book. And it's like Pastor Wang Yi, who was arrested one year ago for subversion to the state, the Chinese government. Think how threatening Christianity really is when people really carried out subversion of the state and for illegal financial activities. They were selling Bibles. So they imprisoned him since last year. He went on court case, trial, no lawyers, no representation. It was a secret trial, and they sentenced him to nine more. I want us to pray for him. But before he was imprisoned, I just want to tell you, pastors like him have been straining forward all along. They have a grasp of the future. Listen to what he wrote. Let me read it for us. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a national, natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me and that he would grant me patience and wisdom that I might take the gospel to them. That I might take the gospel to them. If you don't know what lies before you, if you don't know what's in the future, according to Holy Revelation, you have nothing to leave behind. You have nothing to strain forward to. 
Apostle Paul did. Pastor Wang Yi did. Pray for him in so many and pray that you and I do too. Strain forward. Last application. You cannot do everything well. Just the reality. Really don't need the Bible to say that. If you haven't learned this yet, life will teach you it. You cannot do everything well. So what's your one thing? What's it going to be? People closest to you can tell your one thing. Do you know your one thing? What is your one thing? What should be your one thing? Because whatever your one thing is will always shape you into its image. But there's only one person in the whole universe who will live and love you forever and shape you into a picture, perfect, beautiful, spotless, blessed, forever living image of him. Light is light. It's diffused. It's scattered. It illuminates everything around it. But when you gather up all that light and you focus it on one singular point, we call it a laser beam. It becomes a laser beam. And the intensity and the power and the force of a laser beam is that it's singularly focused. Would you with me this year learn better to gather up all your time, resources, treasures, all your relationships, your bodies in your very lives toward one thing Apostle Paul did. Knowing Jesus better, becoming more like Jesus, serving and sharing and speaking of him just a little better. Because only to that end, only to that end is there surpassing worth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we humble ourselves before your word and your spirit this morning. Pray for Pastor Wang Yi, millions of believers throughout Asia, the Middle East, and particularly under threat, day and night, without freedom of religion. We ask for mercy upon the government officials. We ask that freedom would come. And we ask most of all that our fellow believers who struggle and strain forward, grant them comfort and boldness. Grant them relief. And give them the taste of the future that is even real in the present by your spirit. And oh God, I pray for myself. I pray for us here at Christ Central, new family and friends. Lord, help us to be about one thing. One thing. Christ Jesus, may it be so. Do your work even now. Let me just give you a couple seconds to respond in prayer with me. If there's some things you need to leave behind, forget what lies behind. Would you pray? Repent, turning away from that. Loving the past or loving your youth or loving what you once had. Pray and leave it behind in the hands of Jesus and ask, Jesus, I want to strain forward. Best days are ahead of me. You promised. I want to pursue you better this year. Let's pray.